What's up, Gator Country? Man, Drew Spivey back, and uh, we got the uh, the tag team trio going again. We got uh, Ethan and we got Bailey back, and uh, got a fun-filled okay. podcast. Uh, we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna talk some football. We haven't really recapped the whole spring yet. Um, Ethan brought it to my attention that we had, you know, hit on it a lot in print and um, on the web, all that good stuff. But we haven't really broke it down on the podcast. So we're gonna break it down on the podcast. Then we're uh, we're gonna hit some diamond sports, Ethan. Your your boys are are falling up in volunteer land, and I don't know. Should have predicted a win this weekend, Ethan. <laughs> I mean, I can just about guarantee you the win this weekend, though. Okay, well we're gonna hold you to it. Yeah. We're gonna hold Tennessee, you to it. Uh, yeah, Tennessee just you can just tell from the beginning it was setting up to be one of those weekends. Yeah. Well, they uh, they sold out their football team for their basketball team to get better and their baseball to get better uh but then we're gonna finish it off with basketball uh mike white's cooking in the transfer portal what that means for this team going forward i, I don't know but we're gonna talk about it here at the um towards the end of the podcast we're gonna get on that and so a fun-filled podcast but let's start it off uh we're gonna recap some spring ball and uh let let me let me ask you this first bailey uh Overall thoughts on spring. What did you learn? What did you? What do you still have questions? Well, let's go with what you learned first. Okay. Um. You know, it it's really hard to take a lot from spring because we saw spring through Instagram Live. Hey, those we hundred yard Instagram Live scrimmages weren't good enough for you. <laughs> no, not quite. It's just you know, whenever whenever you're watching it through that you're always going to see what they want you to see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's always going to be through that perspective. And you're not going to get your own views from it. You're going to get what they want you to get from it, which, you know, it's good. Everybody wants to take away good things from spring. And, um, you know, that's fine and dandy. But I just don't think you get that objective view of spring practice. Um so, you know, I think I think we probably didn't quite learn as much about the quarterbacks as we hoped we could learn from spring. But, uh, you know, we saw some good things and some bad things from everybody, really. You know, we saw a little bit of inaccuracy from Emory, but I think that over the course of spring, that improved. Um, and, you know, you just kind of see the bright spots and, you know, a few negatives throughout there. Um I think we also learned that, you know, maybe maybe the defense is ready to take a step forward. It's it's hard to tell again from what we're seeing there, but you you, you definitely saw a lot more energy, I think, than what we saw on the field this fall from them. Ethan, what uh what what did you kind of gather? What was kind of your your takeaway? Yeah, going off of what Bailey just said, the biggest thing that kind of I, I took away from it was that the defense isn't just better, but they were actually ahead of the offense in the spring from what we heard. And even what Mullen confirmed to us in his last press conference after the spring, which that's not, I guess, terribly surprising because generally defenses are going to be ahead of offenses in the spring, especially when you have a new quarterback, a bunch of new receivers and they have to build the timing and everything. And there's no quarterback runs. There's no game planning. So it's kind of set up for the defenses to shine, but Given the fact that they wouldn't have looked good against a Division II school last year on defense, it's still a, a encouraging sign to see. Well, I, I like what we saw from the new coaches as well. Um, you could definitely see a, a different kind of energy out there from, uh, you know, Jules 
uh, Montanar and Wesley McGriff. And, you know, I, I really liked uh, Garrick McGee, too, the new quarterback's coach. He, you know, we didn't see a whole lot from him on the field-wise through Instagram Live and all that. But uh, when we interviewed him, he he's just a very impressive guy to me. I think the I think the thing you you guys hit on the the most was the swagger, the energy, and you know defense <clears throat> defense is complicated, but defense is also about a want. And you know I say this all the time about tackling. Tackling's not difficult. You either want to or you don't want to. If you want to get your face dirty and make a tackle, you're gonna make the tackle. If you want to shy away from it. You're not going to make the tackle. You know, Chauncey Gardner, many a times uh, his junior year, w- would look like he didn't want to make a tackle. He came back his senior year, or excuse me, his sophomore year, he acted like he didn't want to make a ton of tackles. Came back his junior year, he was all over the place. He was a much better improved tackler. Did he improve his technique? No. It was, it was you know, a, a more of a want-to kind of thing there. And so, you you know, to see the energy from those two guys, I think, was the biggest takeaway for me. And like you said, you know, do you read how much do you read into Emory? I don't know that you read too much into Emory because, you know, Emory's game is play action. You know, making the defense be out of position and and having the ability to escape and run and, and to have the quarterback run in the back of people's minds is going to open things up for him. Now, was there some concern because of his, you know, accuracy on some of his passes? Absolutely. Sure it was. Uh, but again, am I overly concerned about it? Not really. I am overly concerned, you know, a little bit about the offensive line, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, like you said on McGee, I, I really like the, uh, the, the positivity from McGee and, and the really hands-on coach from him you know you've seen him doing um a, a lot of working on technique and stuff and and that's not to say brian johnson didn't every quarterback coach has a different philosophy on things so uh overall takeaway for me was much more energy uh much more detailed focus on the on the small things that maybe were bypassed last year and a lot of that was because you didn't have a spring but um to say the defense is ahead i think is absolutely true Will it be that away come you know game one? I don't I don't know. We'll see. Uh, spring usually does, like you said, allow that to happen. Um, Ethan, I'll start with you first. Any disappointments? The offensive line would be the ob- the obvious one. I mean, we saw the one eleven on eleven period. They're the final practice. I think first five plays were like three sacks and two tackles for loss or something. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. And another thing about the offensive line too is Mullen mentioned it. You know, he doesn't he doesn't really give us any updates on injuries, but he did mention towards the end of spring that a lot of guys were really banged up there too. So you know, not that I'm giving excuses, but it seemed like the numbers were down there as well, and that was causing some issues. Yeah, I know Garage was kind of you know struggling with some injuries late, and they were bouncing you know guys around. They were trying to figure out where Stuart Reese was going to play, and um, you know trying to figure out how the center was, who the center was, and and, and all that. Um, it's very concerning though because you know you you feel like heading into spring you're. You know, your interior guys of Ethan White um, and um, Stuart Reese at guard, you, you felt like those two guys were, were two guys with Kingsley at center, uh, those three that were going to probably be your guys there. Uh, and to see no inside push on the running game is is just 
concerning, and it's concerning because of the fact that you know you're going to have to run inside the tackles uh, with a running quarterback in Emory Jones. You know that that's going to be your game, and if this offensive line cannot get a block up front, you're setting yourself up for a bad year because Emory's not Kyle Trask. You're not going to be able to go 80% pass in this team. Um, so that's a, that's a concern for me there majorly. I agree. Oh, go ahead, go ahead Sorry. Um, I, I agree, but I also think that, again, like we were talking about earlier, once you get the quarterback run game involved, maybe that element of deception is able to freeze defenses just long enough to where it doesn't, uh, the offensive line doesn't have to block as well. I mean, kind yeah, of, no, you have a good point. And, and, and I mean, it all works together. Um, and so when I, when I say that's concerning, um, it, it, it's concerning, but also, like you say, there is an opportunity there. Uh, it's going to have some, something we have to watch all year. Um, my my thing is, is if it doesn't improve, it's a long year. Yeah. yeah. And for me to just switch gears here a little bit, we were talking about some things that might have disappointed us a little. And this could go back to the offensive line as well. But I was a little disappointed that we really didn't see any running backs like take over and like say this is this is my spot you know they've got such a deep group there but nobody's really looked elite and we didn't really get to see much of Bowman because he was injured for a majority of spring practice um but yeah I was I was a little bit disappointed in that that we just didn't get to see a whole lot from them yet yeah, and I, and I think it is because of the offensive line in a lot of ways, um, you know, be, because of that. Uh, you know, not seeing Demarcus Bowman sucked because we all wanted to see what he could do. Uh, you know, if I had to pick coming out of spring ball, I, I think Lorenzo Lingard and Naquan Wright were probably your top two. Um, now, here, here's the kicker on that, and that is those guys run a lot more outside than they do inside the tackles. So can they run inside the tackles? We'll see. Um, you know, Damian Pierce is going to run between the tackles. We all know that. So I think in a way it hurts him there, but it also does show that you have some speed there in Lingard and Nacon Wright. Nacon Wright's playing football this year for the University of Florida. Some way, shape, or form, he's going to be out on the field uh, a lot more than he was last year. He's too good of a back not to play. Oh, yeah. Hey, while we're talking about running backs, were you guys at all uh, surprised that we haven't seen any transfers come out of there? Or you think that Florida's just playing it perfectly with them? I'll let you talk yeah. about that, Ethan. I'm just not really I'm not really surprised just because it, there isn't a whole lot of guys that you would think would be candidates back. Because obviously Pierce isn't going anywhere because he's played a lot. Malik Davis isn't going to go anywhere because, I mean, he, where's he going to go really? Because he hasn't. He still come off those knee injuries a couple years ago and didn't really prove a whole lot last year. Obviously, Naquan Wright's going to play a ton. You just added Lingard and Bowman, so they're not going anywhere. So it doesn't really seem to be an obvious candidate for someone to transfer. I'll be honest. I, I, I thought one guy would transfer. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really did. I mean, when you go through the list of Pierce, Davis, Lingard, Wright, and Bowman, that's five guys. That's five guys who've played – well – Bowman hasn't played a lot. He played some. But that's still, that's five guys who've played. No way, shape, or form are those five guys all going to play a lot next year. It just isn't. No, only one ball. You, you've got you've to give it to somebody. And, well, and, and, and you've got to give it to the guy who's hot. So right. I would venture to say three of those guys are probably going to play, you know, more than the others. So, 
yeah, I am. I honestly am. I, I'm shocked. I, I really am. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to name names, but I think it's pretty clear of, of, of some names that I thought would probably transfer. Some of the older guys. Um, yeah, I, I am. I, I guess, you know, having, you know, the ability to split out to the slot receiver for a couple of these guys is also there. So maybe that's a role that the staff is pushing. And if it is, um, more power to them, more props to them, because that is a way to keep them. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, I, I am shocked. I, I am. And, you know, I'm also a little shocked that maybe, you know, another guy or two uh, hasn't come out and transferred. Usually after spring, you usually have, you know, three to four to even five guys transferring so far. It's just – T.J. Moore and uh, Jahari Rogers, right? That's the only yep. two. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've been surprised about that too. I've just been waiting for someone else to announce, and nothing's happening. So, I mean, I guess they're doing something to keep them happy. Yeah. Well, and I, I say that I, you know, I think it becomes a, a thing too where we have to see. Um, you know, the NCAA here has to rule pretty soon on this whole roster limit for next year of what it's going to be. Um, we, we still don't know. I mean, everyone's operating that it's going to be, you know, increased, but is it? I mean, it has to be, but what it'll be increased to. So, you know, it, it's a situation where some guys may be forced out, and, and maybe that's what some teams are waiting on, and, and we'll see, uh, you know, if – if we're being honest, the NCAA may wait till the day before the first game of the year before they say it. That's just the NCAA. Uh, but that's something to keep in the back of your minds is what, you know, what that kind of means. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I guess I hadn't really even thought about that part of it, but um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll see what all happens with all that. Um, but going back to spring here, do you guys have other thoughts on your takeaways? I thought one of the, positive developments was the wide receivers it looks like jacob copeland and xavier henderson are lined up to take the be the receivers this year that take that canarius tony freddie swain type of leap they've both had a really good spring from what we got to see yeah Yeah. the thing too i'll say is I, i was i was impressed with that um and i was really impressed with a couple of the of the early enrollees uh jason marshall I was really impressed with him. Not that I didn't think he was going to do that. I, I did, but it's always one of those things of seeing it, you know, at the next level. Uh, Nick Elkinson, I was, you know, really impressed with him. Um, I, I thought he did a, uh, a really good job of, of moving up the depth chart uh, rather quickly uh, there. And then the development of the two transfer defensive tackles in uh, uh, Valentin, or Shelton Valentin um, and uh, Newkirk. I was, I was impressed that those two guys came in and really picked up on everything so quickly uh, to make an impact. Yeah, and talking about those two guys, you know, it seemed like every single person we talked to this spring just had so many good things to say about them. You know, you I guess you see that everywhere, but when guys are first getting into a program, you kind of expect them to take a little bit of time and settle in and, you know, find their place. But it seems like those guys just came in and they were leaders and that's it. That they knew that that, that was the, that was going to be their job. And they did it. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed with that. And I'm excited to see them uh, in the middle this fall. Uh, I'll ask you guys this both real quick and then we'll move on. Uh, give me a guy on offense and a guy on defense who um, you think will, you know, take that next step from right now 
at what is today. Today we're taping this on April 13th. The guy who will take a step from April 13th to the first game uh, in the fall. Who do you think will take the step and really showcase their stuff uh, in the fall? Okay, uh, I will start with offense here. Okay. Um, someone that I am really looking forward to seeing uh, make a step and get a lot more playing time is Trent Whittemore. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I really think that he was impressive this spring, and he's someone that we've all just kind of been waiting to see, and he showed glimpses of that last fall. Before he got, got hurt, him. yeah. Yep, and then we kind of just didn't really get to see much else from him. So I, I am excited about him. Let's see, defensively, who am I going to go with? Uh, Ethan, give, give your offensive, and I'll come back to defensive. Does it have to be, like, somebody – like a breakout player or it can be somebody who's already playing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, anybody, anybody that you think will take a step forward. Oh, then I think Jacob Copeland would be my answer for that. Just okay. cause he seemed to have a really good spring and he's going to be counted on to be probably their top pass catcher in the fall. And it's kind of been an annual tradition under Billy Gonzalez that you have one veteran receiver who you've kind of given up on has a breakout year. And he seems to be the, biggest contender to do that this year yeah I, I can agree with that um and then going to my defensive one here um i'm gonna even though it even though he is good and we saw him be good last season in in spurts i'd say i'd say brenton cox is someone that i see making that big step that we're looking for from him because you know last year it just seemed like there would be some plays where he'd totally go away and it seemed like this spring that the the feeling was he's he's getting rid of that that part of him. He's he's bringing his level up um, for those plays. So you know I, I'm hoping that anyways. And Florida's defensive line could be set up to be really really good this fall if if everything falls into place like it sounds like it will. Yep, and my my defensive player to watch is actually another defensive lineman. I think. Javon Dexter could be in for a big fall, especially since he has those two older guys ahead of him now that could really just help him, I guess, settle into the defense and find his role. And he has those two older guys that he can watch and learn what it's going to take to get there. And I think he could be a guy that maybe doesn't have a ton of production because he's going to be probably a second string player. But when he's out there, you're going to, I think there was a much larger consistent impact from him this fall. Yeah, I I agree with you there. Uh, I'll uh, I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go with the guy on offense, and I'm gonna think I'm gonna say Keon Zipper. I I think Keon Zipper's a guy who has to take away from this spring and say I really really need to focus on everything to be the guy. And I you know I Kamori Gamble is a guy who I I. I you know, I think is going to still probably be your starter, but I think Keon Zipper can be the guy who is your best tight end. Uh, so I'm going to go with him. And then uh, defensively, I like your pick on Brenton Cox Bailey because he was one of those guys that at times he 
he really showed out and showed he was that five-star player we all thought he was. And then sometimes he just kind of faded off into the glory um, of, of not, you know, really doing anything. But defensively, I'm going to go with Tyron Hopper. I, I think he's a key to this defense. I, I really, really do. Ventrell Miller is a guy who's, you know, is, is going to do what Ventrell Miller does. Tyron Hopper can do it all. And, and I, I just I really want to see him continue to take those steps and, and not just – not really his physicality and his athletic ability, but more just really honing in on what it takes to be a linebacker, understanding his reads, understanding all of that. So uh, those are going to be my two guys uh, on the uh, offensive defense side of the ball. Yeah, I, I think those are good picks. And uh, about Hopper, yeah, which, I mean, I don't I, – maybe my mind is just going blank here. I don't particularly remember a whole lot from his spring, uh, but – yeah, Florida definitely needs some more linebackers to step up this fall because it just seems like the older guys are kind of fading into the background. You, you need some, you need some new, fresh faces out there to to kind of, I don't know, I guess get things going a little better. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and I think I think it's interesting that none of us chose a defensive back as a breakout player. So I guess if you had to pick a DB to break out, who would it be? Good question. Good question. I mean, because I I don't know. I mean, I, I'm concerned so much about depth there, Ethan, that I I don't know. I mean, you know, do you say Jaden Hill? Uh, you know, do you say Rashard Torrance? You know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who I would pick because I I don't feel comfortable with depth there. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel very similar because that, that's why I was like, eh, I'm just gonna yeah. just gonna go with what I. I, <laughs> I do think Trey Dean could have a big year though. Oh, 100 percent. But I think he is. I think for him, it's it's more. It's more just getting out on the field and playing, and you know, getting that opportunity to play more uh, for for him. I I think that's the biggest key there. Uh, so I, I don't know that it's as much. You know, anything he can do is just he just needs to get on the field and be able to get the reps. Yeah, he was their best safety last year, I thought, and they just had him number four in the rotation for some reason. Yeah, it was it was it was insane. Oh, another day, another topic. All right, Ethan, I'm bringing you to the table. Oh no, Rocky Top man, what is going on with this team? It just it's train wreck. They're number 18 in the country, and they're not playing like the number 18 in the country. Just what in the world went wrong at Rocky Top? That that series was just it was one of those series where all three games just came down to a handful of pitches, and you could really make an argument that if three or four pitches went the other way in the first two games, the Gators could have swept Tennessee. And if, on the other side, if Armstrong swing is a fraction of a second late in the third game, they would have gotten swept. And I think that's kind of the recurring issue with this team is I don't think it's a talent issue or they think that they're better than they are because of the preseason rankings like some people have suggested. I just think it's as simple as they don't know how to win and they're not a very mentally strong team. And I think that stems from the core of this team played on the 2019 team that barely made the NCAA tournament and lost in the regional round at Texas Tech. And then they didn't get to play any SEC games last year to kind of build that toughness that it takes to win in this league. And when you get into a series like Tennessee where it's, you're going on a road to a top 10 team, most of the time it's going to be decided by a handful of plays. And for whatever reason, they just never seem to be on the right side of those handful of plays. 
at least not often enough. And then also they just have a tendency to let like good championship-level teams are able to take bad innings and keep them from spiraling out of control into being disastrous innings. When you give up two runs, you stop it right there. This, The pitching staff, they just have a tendency to, when things go wrong, they have to hit rock bottom before they start to build their, build themselves back up. And by that point, they've already dug themselves too big of a hole, and it's too late. They just, for whatever reason, this team plays better when they have their backs to the wall, and they just cannot handle any kind of prosperity at all. Here's the thing for me, Ethan. It's not a talent standpoint as much as it, I mean, there is some deficiencies. But baseball, and, and let me let me back up for a second. People say baseball is not a team sport. They're full of you-know-what. Baseball is a team sport. It, you know, yes, only one guy touches the ball at a time, but that's in every sport. Uh, and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the, the pitcher and the catcher get three outs together, you know, by themselves. But this is a team sport. And this team's not gelled yet. This team's just not gelled yet. Um, they're not having fun, um, you know, like they were last year. Uh, I don't know if the pressure is just, you know, beating them down or, or what it is. Um, I haven't really seen a leader step up on this team yet. Um, Judd Fabian is, you know, a guy that a lot of people look up to, and he's having a uh, disaster of a year so far. Um, you know, your, your pitching staff, Tyler Mays and uh, Jack Leftwich. Two guys who, you know, you really thought you could just get on their backs and, and ride them through the weekend. Haven't had good years. Jack Leftwich didn't even pitch but, what, one batter on, on Saturday? Yeah, two batters. Two batters, yeah. It's all balls. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's just, yeah, I mean, do they have the talent to get there? Sure. But it's it's more about anything than talent. I mean, you know, I, I always use this, you know, uh you know, saying all the time, but you know, the Yankees and the Dodgers 90% of the time have the most talented teams in, in baseball. They just do. They have more money than everybody. But you know, until last year, the Dodgers hadn't won one since the eighties and the Yankees hadn't won one since the early two thousands because it's a team game. It's, it's chemistry. And this team has no chemistry right now. And, you know, I, I see some former players that are pitchers who transferred away saying Sully's too hard on pitchers. Don't give me that. Sully's always hard on pitchers. So he's hard on everybody. He's a, he's a tough coach to play for. But at the end of the day, kids love him because he gets you drafted and he gets you ready to go. Uh, you know, that softness is, is retarded. And for me, seeing him get frustrated with Jack Leftwich has been bowling all year. Because I, I texted you a few games earlier this year, and I said, a Sully team does not walk this many guys. I said he would have had a heart attack by now. And I think it just bowled over to the point where he just had enough on, on Saturday and was like, you know what, if you're not going to throw strikes, get out of the game. Yep, hey, that's exactly it. And, I mean, Leftwich wasn't happy about it. I don't know if he was upset at himself for walking two guys or upset because Sully put him in with – two runners on, nobody out, and wasn't a situation he's used to, but, I mean, he got back to the dugout and slammed that glove. He did not He did not look very happy. To put Too bad. Wild. Too bad. Yeah. It's, you know, what are we, midway? Are we midway yet through the SEC schedule? Um, This weekend will be the halfway point. Yeah. So you're midway through the SEC schedule. Get over it. Get over it. Yeah. You, 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 you had aspirations to be drafted high in the draft. Get over it. Everybody didn't come in with a clean inning. Guess what? You're going to go to the minor leagues, and, and you're going to face some adversity. Sully giving you some adversity? Get over it. 
Get over it. Um, you know, and it, you know, I know that there's been some some injuries on in, on the pitching staff, but still, this staff has not lived up to expectations whatsoever. Whoever told Judd Fabian about his launch angle uh, needs to go away. Judd Fabian needs to get back to what made him a really good baseball player, and that is hitting for average and hitting home runs when it happens. You don't have to force it. Good hitters hit home runs because they square up the ball. Yep, Judd is really, you can tell he's just pressing on both sides, because even defensively, which was the one calling card for him, you saw in the Sunday game at Tennessee where he ran in on a line drive and it bounced in front of him and then rolled all the way to the wall for a, I think they ruled it a single and a two-base error, but that's just a play that he never would have made the last two years. And for whatever reason, he just thinks that he has to be Superman all the time now. Teams were going to draft him because he was Mr. Reliable. He was a guy who could hit one or two in the lineup, was going to get you 10 to 15 home runs a year, was going to hit you high 200s, low 300s, and was going to just be Mr. Consistency. That's what they loved about Judd Fabian. Whoever told him he needed to be a 30 home run guy was wrong. That is just what it is. There's still room in baseball for Mr. Consistency. Period. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, and... If you're, go ahead. Y'all going on baseball? I was I was gonna shift to softball a little bit here. No, I, I, yeah. Let's. I mean, I, let's stay on this for a second, real quick. Yeah. With baseball. Um, yeah. Ethan, you got Missouri this weekend. Yeah. It's go time. You know the I mean, the regionals come out in what two weeks? Yep, the end of April. I don't know exactly the date, but sometime at the end of April. Right. Well, we're about middle way of April. It's go time. If you want to, uh, if you want to host a regional. What you do at the University of Florida, it's go time. And this weekend against Missouri, it has to be a sweep. I mean, Missouri, they're one of only two teams in the conference that have an overall losing record. They're dead last in both batting average and team ERA, both by pretty wide margin. You're playing at home where the Gators actually played pretty well for the most part this year. You've, you've got to find a way to win all three of these games. Two and one weekend. Just at this point, you don't have the luxury of being able to settle for just a series win over a team like this. Yeah, it's, it's go time. What you think the pitching staff looks like? And and we're taping this on Tuesday, so they got FSU on uh, on Tuesday night. Um, Garrett Milchin is pitching. Um, surprise, Jack Leftwich isn't pitching, but still, uh, he's pitching. What's what do you think the rotation looks like this coming weekend? I don't know what it will look like. I think what I would do is probably I'd have Alamon. I'd have some combination of Alamon with Mace in relief after him, kind of like they did against Ole Miss, because I really like the way that that looked. And then I think you have to start Leftwich, because, I mean, he's clearly only getting worse the more you use him out of the bullpen. And then that third game, you either, either got to just keep rolling with Barco and hope he gets it figured out, or maybe you have to start Christian Scott at this point. But then at that point, you're just getting rid of your two two bullpen arms that you can count on. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, let me ask you this. I, I haven't watched I haven't watched as much baseball in the last few weeks as I should have, and that's on me. But uh, has there been any bullpen guys really step up? Not really. I mean, I think Trey Vanderweide has been the one guy who's been all right the couple times he's gotten in. And then Christian Scott out of the, came out of the bullpen on Sunday and was really good. And then you have a couple guys that have some nice moments, like Brandon mm-hmm. Sprout. And they use Jordan Carrion as their closer for one game against Ole Miss. But 
other than that, it's just been a bunch of wildly inconsistent. It's been wildly inconsistent. Yes, that's concerning. All right, Bailey, uh, go to uh, uh, softball. Uh, take the game against Western Kentucky. Fall to Canada. You know, kind of whatever. Um, did pick up the doubleheader sweep of USF last weekend. Uh, big one coming to town with Alabama. Uh, Florida now sits just a game back on Arkansas, right? Yes, yes, I believe so. Because Alabama beat Arkansas twice Two out of this three, weekend. Yeah. So I, I think this weekend is really going to tell us a lot about what Florida is as a team. Because they played some good teams this year. But now they're playing a team at the top of the SEC, the team that just beat the undefeated uh, team in the SEC. So, you know, I, I think we're going to learn a lot about Florida. Um, we'll see. You know, I think the Bats still have a little bit of a ways to go. Uh, we've got to see some production from the bottom of the lineup. And even in that those couple of places in the top, too, really the only people we're seeing – Real consistency. You talk about Mr. Consistency. I think Hannah Adams is Miss Consistency, uh, and as well as Cheyenne Lindsay. She's looked really good, even though she didn't have a great game uh, against Western Kentucky. She en- ended up getting a pinch hit for. But, you know, I don't know. I guess I- I'm just ready to see it. I'm ready to see Florida out on the field against Alabama and see what they do. If Florida goes out and wins two of three or sweeps Bama, then I think we're looking at one of the best teams in the country. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the question always around softball is hitting. It's just yeah. You know, it doesn't. It seems like you know you and I could get out there for uh, for for uh, Tim Walton. And, and, and throw well. It just seems like he's got the magic touch with the, uh, you know, with, with pitchers. And, and that's, you know, even after, uh, you know, change pitching coaches and everything else, it's always about hitting. Um, you know, Alabama's not going to let Hannah Adams beat him. Beat him. That's just period what it is. Uh, Lindemann, uh, uh, Eccles, um, Cottrell. Jamie Hoover, those those girls are going to have to beat them. That's just is what it is. They're not going to allow Hannah Adams to beat them, and that's any good team does not allow one person to beat them, and they're not going to allow Hannah Adams to beat them. Uh, what that means, we'll see. Here's the thing for me, too, and, and that becomes, you know, if you're going into this series and you're expecting Hightower Lugo to throw up shutouts in, you know, one-run games, you're crazy. It's not going to happen. Alabama's too good of a team. So you've got to come in expecting to score some runs and give your pitcher some help. Uh, I agree. This is a big series. If you go in this series and win this series, um, or you know you come into this series and you sweep, whatever, you're going to learn a lot about this team, like you say, and, and we're going to figure it out and see you know just how good they are. I mean, I think they're a a good team. Can they be very good to great to elite to you know be a real contender in in um, Oklahoma City? We'll see. I think this weekend tells me a lot. I just need to see consistency from the lineup one through nine at least some kind of production. Right. And Walton, he, he changes up his lineup so much too. So it's hard to really get that bottom of the lineup going because, you know, you'll see a new, a new girl at shortstop or in right field every series. It seems like he's, he's changing it up, which I don't disagree with. I think that you've got to change things up to try to get something going down there. 
Um, but it's just nobody's really had a lot of time to settle in. Um, and then, you know, we're talking about tests. I think the midweek game this week is going to be a big test, too, because they play UCF uh, at home on Wednesday. So A team and, that's already beat them this year. Yep, UCF walked off on them a couple weeks ago, and they are a really good hitting team. Right. They're, they're, they're probably the best hitting team Florida's faced uh, this season. Um, okay. So I, I think that'll be a good, a good warm-up for Alabama as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Um, you, you know, it's 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 a big week. I mean, UCF's UCF's much improved. Um, I mean, they're always good, but I think they're even better this year than than years past. Uh, really good uh, um, pitching staff as well, and and they can hit. They make contact. So we'll uh, we'll see there. Uh, let's move on to basketball. Uh, Ethan, I think you and I getting on Mike White fired him up on the recruiting trail. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe it is. Yeah, he's up to four transfers now. Yeah, and you know we talked about a lot of them, uh, but they picked up a, a guy, and I don't even want to try to pronounce the man's first name, Mister Fleming. That's what I'm going to call him, Mister Fleming here. Uh, transferred in from Charleston Southern, a point guard, uh, averaged 20 points a game last year. Uh, a guy who I think is is a guy who can really come in and you know maybe even play a little shooting guard as well at six four to ten. You know, big big pickup there, surprising pickup. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll start with you, Ethan, first, and that is you know what do you think about this? I mean, obviously he's not Trey Mann, but he's better than Quez and probably a little bit better than uh, Tyree Appleby. Yeah, he's he's kind of a weird guard when you look at his stat line because he's averaging more than 20 points a game but yet he's only shooting 39 he only shot 39 percent and like 32 percent from the arc right which tells me that he's gonna be a guy who is kind of a volume shooter he's gonna shoot it a lot and he shoots enough to where even if he doesn't shoot a high percentage he's still gonna get a lot of points at least that's what he did at charleston southern right. and then he's an excellent rebounder an excellent distributor so right. i think he's maybe kind of a diet version of Trey Mann in that regard? Well, here's the thing for me, and that is at least they got somebody that's not afraid to shoot. Yeah, yeah that's true. I think that's been the problem with Florida since Kayvon Allen. Yeah. Just everybody's scared to put up a shot. Just go do it. And Except for the players who should be scared to shoot, and they just shoot it like Scotty Lewis or Anthony DeRuji. They just let it fly whenever. What's his name? Uh, uh, What's his name? How do you pronounce his name? Ruggie. Yeah, no, uh, the kid from Memphis, R-U-R-O-U-S-E-Z or something like that. Regensive? Yeah, Regensive. Yeah, he, he he shoots every time he comes in the game. He thinks he's, yeah. you know, hot potato. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it's just the transfer portal is Mike White's bread and butter. I, I mean, we, we're seeing it every year. He just goes out and gets these guys and... I don't know what his message to them is, but he's whatever it is. It's got to be something good. Um, but I, yeah, I think Florida really is pretty much upgrading in every position, at least on paper, from what we're seeing. That was going to be my question, and and that is okay. Yeah, you're not going to upgrade at at, um, at point guard. 
Uh, Trey Mann's a guy who's picking up a lot of steam to even be a lottery pick. Some um, I don't know that he's a lottery pick, but he does fit exactly what the the NBA likes now. So uh, you know you're not going to upgrade there. Um, right. You know, do you look at it and say, uh, let me let me go back here. Uh, the uh, uh, is is McKenzie an upgrade over Noah Locke? Uh, probably as an all-around player, probably not. But I think I saw a stat where he shot over like fifty percent on catch-and-shoot threes. I think right. Eric had that in his article. So yeah, I mean that's yeah, definitely something that can be. Yeah. It's definitely something that'll that'll be useful for them. I mean, and then you have Myron Jones from Penn State, another guard. Um, you know, do you, you look at those guys and say maybe they are? Uh, you know, you have C.J. Felder, uh, the point guard from Boston College. Uh, you know, so you look at it, and I think that's where it becomes: Are they better? And, and you know, I, I don't know. You know, yet because you know Tyree Appleby was a great player at what was it, Cleveland State. Um, yeah. And then didn't do as, as much last year, uh, you know. So it's always how do they transition there? Um, with Fleming, he was a Big South Player of the Year defensively, which to me is huge because we've said it all along. Defense makes this team go. This team needs to go in transition. Play good defense. Get this team going in transition. And the thing I like most about the roster construction is it seems like they have a a lot of different ways that they can possibly score the ball next year. You've got three-point shooters like McKissick and Rajinsev, hopefully, if he's able to get his stroke figured out. Then you have one of the better interior scorers in the country returning with Colin Castleton if he decides to come back, which is likely at this point, it would seem. Then you have several guys like Fleming and I don't know who else, like Appleby, who are more drivers that can get buckets in the paint and stuff. Right. It seems like they have all the pieces you need to have a good team. It's just a matter of whether they're going to be able to put them together correctly. Right. Right, and I think that's been that has been a little bit of an issue for Mike White's teams. He brings in all these big time transfers and you know freshmen who are supposed to be great, and I just don't think his teams have been melding together very well. There's just so much, um, like I don't know. Every team is different. Every year is what I'm trying to say. Um, so it's hard to really get into a rhythm, which I know teams like Kentucky, even though they didn't do it this year, they do it all the time. But it it just hasn't really worked so far in their favor. Well, and, and I think the thing different is this, and that is when you look at um, a, a guy, you know, you look at what Kentucky does. Kentucky plays more of an NBA style of game of, you know, just spread them out and shoot the ball. Uh, and then you look at Florida, and they play a little bit of a different game there. So I think that's a little bit of the of the process, you know, not being able to get Scotty Lewis, you know, uh, better and, and figure out a way to use him, you know, not being able to use Andrew Nimhard correctly. Um, those are some of the things that scare me. Again, we'll see what these guys do as they transition from, you know, mid-majors to, to now the big boys. You know, you're, you're going to go up against the top-notch guys week in and week out. Uh, you know, what do you do? And then, like you say, do they bond together? Do they gel together? You know, are, are they, are they you know, being able to understand where the guy is going to be at the right time and, you know, be able to do that stuff? And then how do they, you know, bond with the guys who are already in Gainesville? So it, it's a lot of question marks there um, f- from the outside looking in on paper. 
they might be a little bit better, but we'll see. Yep, I, I agree with that. It's just every year it seems like it's a wait and see. Over the off season, we're going to hype them up so much and have those high expectations, and then it's just up to them to if they're going to meet them or not. Ethan, final thoughts on basketball? I will say that it does feel like the transfer they've gotten this year seem to be bigger named guys than what they've gotten previous years. Like previous years, you'd get a guy like Tyree Appleby was good, but then you would also get two or three guys where you're like, who the heck is that? Daruji. <laughs> yeah, Daruji, and then uh, there's a couple more. I yeah. can't think of right now. That's how irrelevant they are in my mind. Yeah. yeah. Right. And th- or like Osai Osifo from junior college where like it just never felt like he was ever going to do anything at Florida. Right. Yeah. It just seemed like he was just kind of there. At least this year you're getting guys that were 20-point-per-game scores and first-team all-conference guys at smaller levels, but at least you're getting players that have some sort of name recognition. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean – uh. We'll see. It's uh, it's the world we're living in with free agency and uh, in ball nowadays. You know, that's it's what it is. It's. I free. think I saw there's like twelve hundred basketball players in the transfer portal right now. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I hate the transfer portal. I'm just gonna let y'all know. I, I think it's retarded, but whatever. What do you? What do I know? I don't know anything. I'm just. It's also ridiculous because like they're transferring because they want more playing time somewhere else. But then half of their team also transfers, so it's like if you just stayed, wouldn't you get more playing time where you're currently at? No clue. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Could not tell you. It's uh, it's it's free agency. That's all I could say. Uh, any final thoughts, guys? We'll uh, we'll get out of here for no final thoughts on uh anything we hit on because we hit on a lot today. Yeah, I think we I think we covered it pretty well there. Um, yeah, just kind of. Getting getting ready for some some summer stuff here. Um, trying to keep things going through the summer, not not keep it uh too boring around here. Oh, yeah, we got gymnastics going for a national title this weekend. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, Trinity's supposed to be good, so go get a title. Go get a title. I mean, uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it goes better than the last Florida Oklahoma battle we saw. Oh yeah, in December for real. Whew. That was bad. Yeah, go get a title, girls and uh, yeah. ladies. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, so good luck to those, and uh, we'll get out of here. As always, follow us on Twitter at GatorCountry.com. Hit us up on Facebook at Gator Country and on Instagram at Gator Country. Uh, let us know what you think about it, what we can improve on, and uh, if you want to hear anything different next week, we'll be back here same time, same place next week. As always, Ethan Bailey, I appreciate it, and we'll talk to you guys soon. All right, thanks, guys. See you next Bye, guys. Time.